Good morning. How's everyone doing? Wonderful. Hey, I've got a sobering statistic for you. You and I, all of us, have a 100% chance of dying. You and I have a 100% chance, apart from Christ coming back, of dying. And at your funeral, the question that will essentially be asked and answered is this. What kind of life did you live? What characterized your life? What were you all about? What will people say at your funeral? Will it be easy? Will the words just come out naturally? Will they say, man, this person overflowed with grace and love and truth and thanksgiving and they were a blessing to me? Or will they struggle to find any words to say? What will people say at your funeral? And this idea of people sharing about you that overflowing grace and love and truth and thanksgiving, this is what the overflowing life is about. We want to define the overflowing life as this. As you receive God's blessing, you are being a blessing to others. The overflowing life is as you receive God's blessing, you are being a blessing to others. Are you feeling like you're running on empty? Like you're just all dried up? Forget about having an overflowing life. You've got nothing in the tank. You're exhausted spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. This time, as we open God's word, is for you. This idea of the overflowing life, if you lean into this series, and more importantly, lean into God's word, it will impact your life, your marriage, your parenting, your work. It will impact what people say at your funeral one day. So how do we do it? How do we live an overflowing life? That's the question that we'll be asking over the next several weeks through our time in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and crack it open to the book of Philippians or pull it up on your phone or we'll have the verses on the screen. But the book of Philippians we will be camping out in in the next several weeks If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and this is on page 802, and feel free to take that Bible home with you. We love giving away Bibles, but we'll be in the book of Philippians, asking ourselves, how do we live an abundant life? How do we have an overflowing life? And specifically this morning, We want to answer the question of how do I have an overflowing life with this answer in Philippians chapter 1. Make it about others. 
You want the words that are shared at your funeral to be those that are, hey, they were overflowing with love and thanksgiving and compassion and they made a difference in my life. Make it about others. And as you're flipping over there to Philippians, we want to encourage you with this challenge for our series. And the challenge is this. Read through the book of Philippians on your own. We want to challenge you to go ahead and take some time to read through it once a week. One time a week, or even listen to it. It takes 14 minutes, supposedly, to read. That's what Google told me. I didn't time myself. So maybe 15 to 20 minutes to read. Four chapters, 104 verses, 2,002 words. Read through Philippians once a week. And if you want to take up this challenge, look at, we're going to go to this next slide here. If you want to take up this challenge, text this word overflow to that number. That's our church number. Text to that number. And what we'll do is we'll send you encouragement like once a week or so, encourage you, hey, keep going, you got this. You can respond and let us know about what God's teaching you through the book of Philippians, um, but text that. And if, if the slide goes down and you go, oh no, I didn't get it in time. Don't worry, it's on the back of your handout too. Um, you'll see it there. We'll also have it on our social media. But really wanna encourage you, get involved in this way. So why should you do that? Well, number one, the book of Philippians is awesome. So you might as well read it. Uh, But also, too, as you engage with the book of Philippians throughout the week, it will impact how you engage with the message on Sunday mornings, too. And if you don't have a regular time with Jesus yet, a regular set daily time, now is a great time to establish that. Again, it takes 14 minutes, according to Google, um, to read. Try it out. Spend a few days a week. Create a rhythm of getting involved in God's word. And those of you that have done it, I know you'll join me in saying this. This is probably the most impactful thing you can do as a follower of Jesus, is spending regular time with God and his word and in prayer. So do it. See what happens. See how the Lord blesses you and fills up your tank so that you can be a blessing to others. So again, take up the challenge. We really encourage you to do that. So now let's dive in. And so if you are ready to go, if you got Philippians pulled up, if you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. All right, hey, let me pray for us and let's dive in. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this morning. We are free. The significance of that statement is just so immense. Jesus, we are free in you. We have relationship with you. Our chains are gone and we get to enjoy relationship as adopted children of the king. Wow, we just celebrate that right now. God, as we continue this time of worship, we pray that you be glorified with it. God, be with each one of my friends here in this space. You know what we're bringing into this room. We're not coming in, a, a, I don't know, just a blank, blank canvas. You know that we've got hard things going on, good and bad and everything in between. You know it. And so God, rather than leaving it at the door, we leave it at your feet. And we pray, God, you'd speak to us in those situations, in those scenarios, in those hard things. God, we want to lean into you because you care. So we give this morning to you. Bible's open, our heart's open. We just pray, God, you lead, you guide, you speak. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
How do I live an overflowing life? I make it about others. Let's give a little background here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy. Oh, I just love starting a new book of the Bible, don't you? This is so great. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Okay, so first of all, let's do a little bit of background here. So who's, who's the guy who's writing it? Who's the main guy here? What's his, what's his name? Paul. All right. So Paul. Paul is an, an apostle. He's someone who has seen Jesus. If you read through the book of Acts, Jesus appears to Paul and just knocks him down. It's an incredible story. Paul had been persecuting Christians. He went from killing Christians to proclaiming Christ. It's an amazing story. If you're a skeptic to Christianity, you got to reconcile these stories of how does a guy who was killing Christians come to be proclaiming Christ, this real historical figure named Paul. So Paul wrote 13 of our 27 books of the New Testament. And then it says, and Timothy. So Timothy was likely with Paul. He wasn't necessarily writing or coming up with the words, but he might have been writing down what Paul was saying as Paul was saying it. So Paul is under house arrest in Rome. So it's not necessarily a, a dark dungeon, but he is under quarantine, house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial. He's not sure if he's going to be put to death or what, but he's under house arrest for proclaiming Jesus. Doesn't sound like the most exciting situation to be in. Doesn't quite feel like everything's happy and great and rainbows and unicorns for Paul. And yet we come to this book and it's so full of joy. There's something about that. We'll, we'll, we'll keep getting into that. So Paul and Timothy, they're servants of Christ Jesus. This is a big word throughout the book of Philippians, servants. If you fast forward to chapter 2, we're going to see that the ultimate servant was Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, Paul would say. So very intentional. Whenever we come to Scripture, every word matters. Paul knows exactly what he's doing by saying, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I am a servant of the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. And he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So question for you. So saints, who, who are saints? All of us, right? We are all saints in Jesus, which is incredible to think about. You may think, I'm not a saint. Are you kidding me? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're a saint, you are a saint. So he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, everybody at the church of Philippi, to all of them who are at Philippi. So let's talk about Philippi for a second. So Philippi is this city in Macedonia. It's the northeastern part of modern-day Greece. And I think we might have a handy-dandy slide maybe with a map on it. If not, you can just visualize. Yeah, just, just visualize. That's great. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. So, so Philippi is a Roman city. So, so, it's, so it's the area that it's in, it has special privileges compared to the surrounding cities. It's a Roman colony. And so it's got a lot of these great privileges. It's kind of a big deal. It's had a lot of successes, but it is a, a, a Roman city. And so with that, Paul will say in a couple chapters, he says, hey, our citizenship is in heaven. First and foremost, it's not about you being a, a resident of Philippi. It's not about you being a resident of the United States, first and foremost. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
So Philippi, this Roman, Roman, uh, Roman city, they have a lot of great privileges, but they also love Jesus. I mean, Paul's had some incredible experiences with the church of Philippi. So first of all, in Acts, Paul had some, one crazy experience where him and his buddy Silas, his travel companion, end up in jail for proclaiming Christ. Paul tends to spend a lot of time in jail, if you haven't noticed. And at midnight, him and Silas are doing what? They're groveling and just, woe is me. No, they're praising Jesus at midnight. Says everybody in the jail can hear them praising Jesus. God intervenes. The prison doors go open. And long story short, you, you got to read it for yourself. It's amazing. God's word is incredible, right? But long story short, Paul and Silas witness to the Philippian jailer and him and his household. They come to know Jesus. Talk about a crazy, crazy circumstance. But Paul's got this incredible relationship with the church of Philippi. And you'll see it throughout the book of Philippians. He's just overflowing with love for this church body. Super cool. So again, it's written by Paul. Church of Philippi are the recipients. It was written around 62 AD, which again, pause. You might be sitting there going, who cares, Andrew? Would you just get on with the message? People who are laughing feel the best, most about that, apparently. But here's the deal. Real book, real people really happened. This is so important before we dive into God's word. This stuff is real. And if for some reason you think, ah, I don't believe the Bible, it's all made up. Well, then you got to reconcile with the facts. We know this really happened at a certain time, at a certain place, written by certain people. So 62 AD, written from house arrest in Rome. It's kind of like this thank you letter. Paul is thanking the church of Philippi for their support, for their love, for being there for him. So this big, just overflowing thank you letter. Main themes of it are like joy and unity, Christ's example. We're going to see that throughout this book. Okay, so we got through verse 1. How do you feel? Verse 1. All right. Awesome. Say, so, let's move on to verse 2 here. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, every word counts. Don't let your eyes just kind of gloss over and be like, all right, let's get to the good stuff. This is good stuff. You have grace in Christ Jesus. Boy, I need grace. God's unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it, but I have favor in Jesus, and you do too. Grace to you and peace. Gosh, do you think we need peace in our world today? Oh, the Hebrew word for the shalom, it's, it's this feeling of, of completeness. I'm not lacking anything. It, it kind of, it makes me think about Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I shall not want. I have peace. Anybody here need peace today? Again, every word of scripture matters. Paul knows exactly what he's doing by saying grace to you, peace. From, from who? From myself? From being a great person? No, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this incredible letter to the whole church of Philippi, all the saints, all the overseers, all the deacons, all the leadership. He said, everybody, this is all for you. Here we go. How do I make it about others? First of all, thank God for them. See others as God sees them and thank God for them. 
Verses 3 through 6 is one long sentence in the Greek, in the original language, and it starts with this in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God. Paul is, every time you come to my mind, Church of Philippi, I can't stop thanking God about you. And again, the next few verses, this next paragraph is really going to show us why Paul is thanking God for the church of Philippi. So let's go on to verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. If I were to hand you a transcript of your prayers, if I were to come up to you after service and be like, here's your transcript of your prayers, what would they say? What would the content of them be? And how often would they be about other people? 20%? 10%? 5%? What's the content of your prayers? And as I ask myself that, I feel quite convicted. I pray with joy. So Paul is praying for others with joy and saying, boy, every time you come to my mind, I just, I'm so thankful for you. And check out verse 5 as we continue to unravel why Paul is thankful for the church of Philippi. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word for partnership, koinonia, it, it means fellowship. We see it in Acts 2.42 where it says that the early church, the followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Fellowship. It's just doing life together. It's knowing one another. It's serving together. It's looking out for each other. And Paul says, I thank God for my partnership with you in the gospel. And before we go any further, we just want to say, I, I want to say this on behalf of, of our staff, our pastors, our, our leadership. Gosh, we are thankful for you. We are so thankful you are in this church body. We are so thankful to partner together in the gospel with you, to do life with you, to serve with you, to proclaim the gospel in the Verde Valley. We are thankful for you. We want you to know that. Thank you for those of you that work, serve next door with our kids and love them and, 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 and take care of them while parents can be here and dial into the service. Thank you for those of you that work the snack counter and, and help me get my delicious fig bars. I love those. Man, I love those raspberry fig bars. Thank you for those of you group leaders who open up your home every week and who help guide and lead and love on those in your group. We are so thankful for you. Thank you most of all, all of you, for just being you. We are so thankful you are in this church. We are the body of Christ together. You are a vital part of Verde Valley Christian Church. And so just as Paul says, I thank God for you, we want you to know we thank God for you for partnership in the gospel. 
And Paul says it's from the first day until now, from the day I met you, Church of Philippi, the day you came to know Jesus. And we want to say from the first day, from the day you came in through these doors, thank you. And then he gets on to verse 6. This is an incredible verse. Are you ready? You ready for what verse 6 has it to say? Being confident of this. Remember, this all flows from verse 3. I thank God He's saying, hey, I'm confident. In the midst of the thankfulness and praying with joy, being confident of this. Because I am confident about this point. I know it. I stand firm on it. That he, who's he? It's God. He who began a good work in you. Good work. He did something good. He did something right. He did something lovely. He did a good work in you. He will carry it on to what? Completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever started a project or a hobby or something and you maybe just didn't finish it? Anybody else? I'm not alone. Good. So a little while back, I, I thought it would be really great to take up wood whittling. Why are you guys already laughing? Hold <laughs> And so I got this, this wood whittling set. Shay got it for me for my birthday. This wood whittling set and all these different intricate wood whittling knives. And I got the gloves and I was ready to go. I was so excited. You know how many times I used that wood whittling set? About 1.5 times, okay? That was all I did. I, I don't know what happened, but I was so excited and I just gave up. We get to this passage and we see that God doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on you. He began a work in you and he will see it to completion. Some of you have had people give up on you. Your dad left you when you were young. Your spouse abandoned you. Your friends stabbed you in the back. You've had people give up on you. May you be reminded today that God does not give up on you. He started a work in you. That means he's involved in the details of your life. He cares about you. He loves you. He's molding you and shaping you. He's taking the whittling block, so to speak, and he's carving it. And he's, he's involved in it. And you know what? He rejoices over it. He started something in you, and he will bring it to completion. He does not give up on you. What that also means is that he doesn't give up on others. You see, sometimes we read these incredible passages and we go, oh yeah, that's all about me. Yeah, this is great. And yes, it is about you. But guess what? It's about all y'all. All right? Bad English. It's about all of us. It's to the church of Philippi, to the church of VBCC. This impacts how we see other people. You're a work in progress, but so is everybody else. 
This should impact how we see people. Let's be real. Sometimes we have the most grace for ourselves, right, in a way. Like we mess up, we do something wrong, or, you know, something happens, and we go, ah, you know, I'm going to give myself a break. Somebody else does something, and we're like, how dare they? I can't believe it. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, remembering that we're a work in progress, but we don't always give others the benefit of the doubt, remembering that they're a work in progress. The work that he began in others, he will bring to completion as well. I love this verse, by the way, from 2 Corinthians 3. This is, this is helpful, too, for us as we look at this lens. We all, all of us, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is shaping us and whittling us and making us more and more like Jesus. All of us. Now, when we put on this lens, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if anyone, any of you do photography at all. I kind of dabble. Oh, speaking of projects, I start and don't finish. Um, I, I do a little photography, but not a lot. Um, and when you look through that f- photography lens, you know, you, you kind of put it into focus, right? Has anyone experienced that? You kind of move it. I know we all use our phones to take pictures these days, right? But in the old days, no, um, you, you, you move that lens and it puts things into focus. And it can start off really blurry at first, but as you twist it, it gets just right. As we take God's word, and remember, it's not just us it's applying to, it's others around us. It changes how we see them. It changes how we interact with them. It changes how we engage with them. And all of a sudden, we can start feeling those same feelings that Paul has for the church of Philippi in verse 3. I thank my God for you every time I remember you. The work that he began in all of us, he will bring to completion. Oh, I hate, I hate leaving this verse. I hate leaving it, but we got to go on. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul's just, again, overflowing with emotion for the church of Philippi. And he says, hey, my feelings are right. They are justified. And then he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. We are all drinking from the same well of God's grace. Boy, is it sweet. All of us share in that unmerited favor together. So Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Going back to what I said earlier, VVCC, it's right for me and for us, pastors and staff and leaders, to feel this way about you. We all drink deeply from the well of God's grace together. How do I have an overflowing life? I make it about others. How do we make it about others? Well, we thank God for them, and we pray for them. We consistently and intentionally bring others and their needs before the throne of God. We pray for them. Check out verse Eight, or verse 9 with me. Check out verse 9. Almost there. Perfect. And this is my prayer. 
which is just really cool, too. Paul's communicating in Church of Philippi. Here's the content of my prayers for you. Do you ever tell people, hey, I'm praying for you? Maybe try saying, hey, I'm praying this for you. Here's what I'm praying for you today. There's something powerful about that. Paul did it. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Is that a good prayer? It's okay to pray for people's cat or their stub toe. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we need to look at the content of our prayers and go, what am I really praying about for this person? I want to be real with you. Several weeks ago, my, my wife, Shay, she, she goes, Andrew, you know, when we pray together, your, your prayers are kind of the same. And they're kind of vague. I just wanted to tell you that she said to me so sweetly and so gently, but it's just like, I just want to point this out to you. And the Lord really used that to convict me. What are the content of my prayers? What are they like? Am I really praying or am I just doing this kind of rote, going through the motions thing? What are the, if I were handed a transcript of my prayers, what would they say? There's something powerful when we pray these kind of prayers, when we pray scripture over people and for people, and then we let them know that we're praying this for them. Your prayers have power. Paul knows that. So he's praying for this deep love, not this, you know, kind of shallow love. He's praying for deep love. There's no shortage of shallow love today, right? So shortage of things that promise this is where true love is found, when in reality it's just shallow and doesn't last. It's kind of like the difference between these two types of things. Gold or fool's gold. I remember being a kid, I thought fool's gold was so cool, right? And so valuable, even though the name was fool's gold. Our world promises gold but hands us fool's gold. If I just get enough likes on my social media account, oh boy, that's where I'm really going to find true love. Or if I can just invest enough time, effort, energy into this, into this relationship, that's where true love is going to be found. Or if I just climb the ladder enough at work and get enough kudos and attaboys and pats on the back and recognition, that's where true love will be found. All the while, it's fool's gold. We want the kind of love that Paul is praying for, a love that abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And as we continue on to verse 10, he says, so that, I want you to have this love so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is what true love results in. There's worth, there's value. Unlike fool's gold, it doesn't tarnish over time. I want to discern what is best. I want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ, what is that? It's when Jesus is coming back. Whether we're above ground or underground and already with the Lord, he's he's coming back. And we see the end of the story in Revelation. The new heavens and a new earth will spend forever with the Lord. 
redeemed, glorified bodies. It's going to be incredible. God's working in us, and we'll be pure and blameless for that day, that day of Christ. Not because of how great you and I are, because of how great Jesus is. That's where that purity and blamelessness comes from. It's because of him and through him, by him. And then we get into verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So part of my prayers, I want you to be filled with fruit of righteousness, filled with that good stuff that comes through Jesus Christ. What are you filled with? What are you filled with? When you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. When you go through hard times, what comes out? When you squeeze an orange juice, orange juice comes out. Nothing comes out of you that's not already in you. And we said earlier about the fact for Paul, life wasn't peachy keen and rainbows and unicorns, and it's not for you either. When we go through stressful, hard times, what's in us comes out. What is in you? I want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, right, that comes through Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you, get filled with that fruit. Spend time with God. Continue to get to know him. Spend time in Philippians during this series. I want to get super practical with you, too. Set aside time each day, a few minutes a day. If you haven't done any time, do a few minutes a day. But spend time in him. Let there be good stuff in you so that way that stuff comes out, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and it's all for him and because of him, to the glory and praise of God. Now, maybe you haven't been spending time with the Lord at all for years and years and years. You go, man, I feel bad. I heard this quote recently. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Just start today. How do we make it about others? We thank God for them. We pray for them. I want to end with this. About a couple months ago, Shay and Micah and I and uh, Shay's sister and sister's husband, they were visiting from out of town, and we went to Wildflower in Sedona. We love Wildflower. It's delicious. And I got one of those calls, the kind of call that you never want to get. My grandma had had a stroke. She was there in the hospital. And she wasn't going to make it through the night. It's one of those calls you never want to get. And I had an opportunity in that moment to talk with my grandma. And by with, I mean, she couldn't talk. But she could hear. My parents said, hey, we'll put the phone up to, to grandma's ear and you can talk with her one last time. <coughs> what do you say to somebody that you've known your whole life and it's your last conversation with them. Here's what I got to tell my grandma. You brought me closer to Jesus. Your love and joy for him is contagious. Thank you. 
thank you for having an impact in my life. Thank you. My grandma Leota lived the overflowing life. What will be said at your funeral? At hers coming up, I will get to say she lived the overflowing life. What will be said at your funeral? So VVCC, we praise God for you. We thank God for you. And this week, may you make it about others. May you thank God for them. May you pray for them. And by the way, would you let them know you're praying for them? Text them, call them, let them know. By the way, when someone says, hey, can you pray for me for this? Pray with them right then and there. Your prayers make a difference. And may you live the overflowing life. Now, if you don't know this Jesus, we've got a prayer team that's going to be up here. They're coming on up, and we would love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know this overflowing life, would you come and talk with them? Or maybe you just feel really dried up. This has been a dry season spiritually for you. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never gone up for prayer. You've been here for years. You've never, would, would you just go up today? If the Lord is leading you and tapping on your shoulder, would you go up today? Get, get some prayer. We're here for you. We love you. We're so thankful for you. And Church family, let me end this. Let's, let's pray. And again, thank you, thank you. We love you. We praise God for you. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. You're so good. Jesus, thank you for the gospel that you came. You came for us. You died for us. You overcame sin, death, and the grave. You have a relationship with us. You crave relationship with us. Would you be with each one of my friends here? And Lord, whatever is of you, whatever, whenever your word is open, you're speaking. So God, whatever you're trying to, to teach each of us, would you drive that home today? Drive it home in our heart, from our head to our heart to our feet. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, go in peace. We love you.